All right, so we're continuing in the Gospel according to Matthew. And uh, I want to review a little bit further back this week to see if uh, see what you're retaining. Um, what was the occupation of the writer of Matthew, the Gospel according to Matthew, before he became a disciple? Jenna? Tax collector. That's right. That's right, tax collector. What was another name for Matthew? Sarah? Levi. Levi. That's right. His name was Levi. Uh, which genealogy, whose parents' genealogy did we find in the Gospel according to Matthew? Jenna? That's right. That's right. Um, what was unique about the, there was a certain curse within the genealogy. You remember whose curse it was? A certain king who had a curse, Jeconiah. There we go. And what was the curse that was put upon Jeconiah? Well, he wasn't having children who would sit upon a throne. You're close. That was good. You guys are remembering pretty good. So, no one from Jeconiah's descendants, physical line, would sit upon the throne. Now, how is that relevant to what happened with Jesus? How does that apply to Jesus? Was he a physical descendant of Jeconiah? He was descended through who? Through Joseph. But he didn't come from Joseph, right? So, he's, so he still kept the, the line of the kings intact, because Joseph is his earthly father, but he wasn't from his earthly father, Joseph, therefore the curse of Jeconiah was still intact, yet someone from Jeconiah's, uh, someone from the king's line was still going to sit upon a throne forever. So it's really, uh, really hard to fulfill that unless it was, it was done any other way. Okay. Um, we also talked about the name of Jesus. What, what is the Greek name for Jesus? That we get Jesus from in English. Jesus. What's the Hebrew name for Jesus? Yeshua. That's right, Yeshua. Okay, we also talked about, uh, we're coming upon this Christmas season again now. Uh, someone tell me one myth they remember from the myth about surrounding Jesus' birth that we talked about. Jenna? That there was three kings or three magi. Does this ever say that in the scriptures? Does not. Sarah? That's right. Hey, it doesn't say he was born in a barn. Okay. In fact, according to tradition, he's probably born in a state in a cave, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, we also looked at John the Baptist and his life, and uh, we looked at possible dates that Jesus would have been born on. What was the what was the possible date that I gave out that Jesus would have been born on? September. You're close. October. It was in October, sometime in October, right? October 13th. Yes, October 13th. So we somewhere around there. Now we don't know for sure, but that's the possible date I gave out. Um, then we talked about temptation. How does temptation come into your life? What are the, what are the avenues that the temptation takes to come into your life? Eyes. Eyes. Very good, Malachi. Daniel? Your mind, okay. Your ears, your thoughts, okay. Sarah? No, it doesn't come in through your mouth. Um, it can come in through your memory, which kind of like your brain, what we talked about. And uh, what's that? The world, that's right. The world can bring temptation. Yeah, demonic temptation come into your life. Uh, is what's that? Was that Matthew? Satan. Satan. Yeah, that's right. So temptation comes into our life through these means, and uh, can we always resist temptation? We sure can. We can do all things through Christ strengthens us, right? And we talked about the Beatitudes, and uh, what what was the the title I gave from Matthew five one through twelve the Something Road. Anyone remember what it was called? Matthews. The Matthews Road. That's right. 
We saw in the Beatitudes, we saw a path to salvation in it. Uh, we talked about fulfilling the law. And what is the fulfillment of the law? Love. Loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Loving your neighbor as yourself. And Christ in his perfect love fulfilled the law perfectly. Which we have not done. Which we have not done. Um, okay, and then we, now we're coming to Matthew 6. And we're looking at four verses today. But we're going to get a lot into some other scriptures in the, in the Bible to, to talk about what we're going to talk about today, about giving. Uh, so let's read Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 1 and going all the way through verse 4. Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise you'd have no reward from your Father in heaven. Therefore when you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory from men. Surely I say to you, they have their reward. When you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your charitable deed may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will himself reward you openly. So we see here, Jesus talking about New Testament giving, and what our heart should be in that giving. And our heart should be not to be seen by men. Look how much I gave this year. Look how much I'm giving to you. But your heart is to be seen by God. Because no matter what we do, whether we eat or whether we drink, we do all for the glory of God. 1 Corinthians 10.31. Uh, Colossians 3 talks about don't work as working for men, but as if you're working for God. So we have this New Testament principle set forth here when it comes to giving. And what I want to talk about today is this issue of the tithe. I think this is uh, one of the most widespread lies there is in Christendom about the tithe, 10% for New Testament. Uh, in fact, it's so widespread, I can't think of any denomination, whether it's Roman Catholic or Protestant, that doesn't teach that in the New Testament, you're supposed to give at least 10% of your income. So we're going to look at this, and what we first need to do is go back to the Old Testament and see what was taught in the Old Testament regarding this, because people are pulling from the Old Testament to teach it, you need to do it today. And I think what we're going to see in the Old Testament is not what people think the Old Testament teaches about this issue. So first, let's go to Leviticus chapter 27. You want to keep your finger back in Leviticus, Deuteronomy, Numbers. We're going to be back there a little bit today in the beginning here. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. So Leviticus chapter 27. And what I'm going to propose to you today is that there's actually, uh, there are three tithes in the Old Testament. And the word tithe, very important for you to understand this, the word tithe means a tenth. It means a tenth. So for all you children who are taking math right now, what is a tenth of 100? Ten. That's right. So a tenth simply means you take a number and divide it by ten, and that's what the number is. So if I had, if in the Old Testament, if I had $100 and I was going to give a tenth to the Lord, how much would I give? $10. That's right. So that's what I, the word tithe means a tenth. Okay, literally it means a tenth. But let's see who the tithe belongs to according to Leviticus chapter 27, starting in verse 30. And it says, all, And all the tithe of the land, whether the seed of the land or the fruit of the tree, is the... Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. 
If a man wants at all to redeem any of his tithes, he shall add one-fifth to it. And concerning the tithe of the herd or the, or, or the flock or whatever pass under the rod, a tenth one shall be holy to the Lord. He shall not inquire whether it is good or bad, nor shall he exchange it. And if he exchange it at all, then both it and the one exchanged for it shall be holy. It shall not be redeemed. These are the commandments which the Lord commanded Moses for the children of Israel on Mount Sinai. So what we have here, that when he had a, a crop, whether it's fruit or grain, one-tenth of your harvest belongs to God. And we're going to see here in a minute who you gave this tenth to. So a tenth of everything that you produce from your land, from your work, from your efforts, belongs to God in the Old Testament, okay? And when it comes to the, and it says you can redeem it. What that means is, let's say you had a good crop, and you didn't want to give the crop. You wanted to keep the crop for yourself. You could redeem it by adding a fifth to what it would be worth in money, and giving that instead. Like say you wanted to take your crop and you can make a profit off of it. Let's say you can make a you know, 20% profit off it. It might be worth it to you, instead of giving the crop away, you'd sell the crop and you'd add a fifth in money to redeem that crop, what it's worth, add a fifth to it and give that to the Lord instead. But when it came to the animal, you couldn't redeem that. In fact, what they have, if you had, say you had a flock of sheep and the tenth one was to be given to the Lord. You let this, this one doorway that only one sheep could fit through. Not big enough for one sheep to fit through. And you let them pass, you called out to them, and you let them pass through, because a sheep knows the shepherd's voice and it follows the shepherd. It walked through the gate, and the tenth one that came through, whether it's good or whether it's bad, whether it has blemishes or whether it's pure and perfect, that tenth one is to be given to the Lord. That's the way they did it. Okay? So a tenth of everything you had belonged to God. Now let's see who, uh, let's look at Deuteronomy chapter 14. Well, I haven't gotten there yet. This is the first one. Okay, Deuteronomy 14. What's it? It's just a tithe to the Lord. It's just a tithe of everything. Deuteronomy 14 and verse uh, 22. Which call the first one the Lord's tithe? How about that? That'll make it easier for us to remember it. Deuteronomy 14, 22. You shall truly tithe all the increase of your grain that the field produces year by year. So is it basically saying the same thing? I just wanted to show you that in Deuteronomy it says that as well. Now the question now becomes, what do you do with this tithe? I mean, do you go somewhere and burn it? Or, you know, what do you do with it? So we're going to go to Numbers chapter 18. This is right after Leviticus, right before Deuteronomy. Numbers chapter 18. We're going to read about 12 verses here. And we're going to see what God tells us to do with it. What told them to do with it. Numbers chapter 18, starting in verse 21, going all the way to 32, the end of the chapter. It says, Behold, I have given the children of Levi, who are the Levites, all the tithes in Israel as an inheritance in return for the work which they perform, the work of the tabernacle of meeting. Hereafter, the children of Israel shall not come near the tabernacle of meeting, lest they bear sin and die. But the Levites shall perform the work of the tabernacle of meeting, and shall bear their iniquity. It shall be a statute forever, throughout your generations, that among the children of Israel they shall have no inheritance. For the tithes of the children of Israel, which they offer up as a heave offering to the Lord, I have given the Levites as an inheritance. Therefore I have said to them, Among the children of Israel they shall have no inheritance. So, I'll stop right there for a second. 
The Levites, the people who came from Levi, who was a child of Jacob, a ch one of the tribes of Israel, they had no inheritance in the land of Israel. They got no land. Their job was to be a minister before the Lord in the tabernacle for the people, uh, to bring atonement for sin. And so this tenth that was given to the Lord, who was it actually given to? The Levites. So it was kind of like, it was almost like their job, their profession. And in the Old Testament, what we have here, we have a theocracy. Okay? In our government, in the U.S., we have senators, we have congressmen, we have presidents, we have judges, uh, which all receive from our income, our paychecks each year, taxes. Uh, but when it came to the, the, the government of Israel, the Levites were kind of like the employees. So they received a tenth of everything the Israelites brought into the land because they had no land themselves. They were being supported uh, by, the, by the Israelites. Let's read on and see what they would do with it. In verse 25, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak thus to the Levites, and say to them, When you take from the children of Israel the tithes which I have given you from them as your inheritance, you shall offer up a heave offering of it to the Lord, a tenth of the tithe. So even they have to give a tenth of their tenth. Even their tithing. And your heave offering shall be reckoned to you as though it were the grain of the threshing floor and, the, the full, and as the fullness of the winepress. Thus you shall offer a heave offering to the, to the Lord from all your tithes which you receive from the children of Israel, and you shall give the Lord's heave offering from it to the Aaron the priest. So now we have the priest. The Levites are giving to the priest, the ones who administer in tabernacles. They're giving to them the tenth of their tenth. And of all your gifts you shall offer up every heave offering due to the Lord, from all the best of them, the consecrated part of them. Therefore you shall say to them, when you lift it up, the best of it, and the rest of it shall be accounted to the Levites as a produce of the threshing floor and as a produce of the winepress. You may eat it in any place, you and your household, for it is your reward for the work in the tabernacle of the meeting. So this is a reward for their work in the tabernacle of the meeting. They may eat it anywhere they want. You shall bear no sin because of it when you have lifted up the best of it, but you shall not profane the holy gifts of the children of Israel, lest you die. So the, even the, the, the Levites got the tenth from the Israelites, and the best of it, the tenth of it, they're to give to the, the priests, Aaron's descendants. But the Levites were the priests. Well, they were priests, but there were certain people who were from Aaron's descendants who actually were the whole house of Levi. And not all of Levi's descendants are Aaron's descendants. So you have Levites in each town. And then you have the, the, the Aaronic priests who are ministering before the Lord in the, te in, in the actual temple. Okay? Uh, so. What is meant by a heave offering? Well, the, the word heave just means offering. I mean, I looked it up in the Hebrew dictionaries, and it just means it's almost like redundant offering, offering. That's okay. basically what it is. So um, you're lifting it up. It's an offering you're lifting up. You're heaving it up. Okay. So it just really just, it's basically saying the same thing again. Uh, but it's, it's just an offering unto the Lord. So we have the Israelites giving a tenth of everything to the Lord, but who does it actually go to? The Levites. And then the Levites give a tenth of the best. They give it to who? To Aaron's priest. That's right. Okay, so the Levites had no land, nothing to support themselves. This is basically their paycheck. Same with Aaron, who was of the tribe of Levi, including in that. But the priest, ministering before the Lord, they would get a tenth of the tenth as well. So the first tithe is a tithe of everything you have. It was the Lord's tithe. It was given to the Levites who gave a tenth of their, of their tenth. They got from the, from the Israelites the best of it to the, the uh, house of Aaron. 
Now we have the second tenth. The second tenth is regarding the festivals of Israel. Okay? So we have a tenth so far and then another tenth. How, many do, how much do we have so far? 10% plus 10% equals 20%. So we have 20% of their income so far. I'm going to get to the scriptures here for the festivals here in a second. But 20%. Now here in these day and age, in the, the churches, you, you go around the churches in America, they'll tell you you give 10% of your income. And they're basing upon this tithe in the Old Testament. But right now, if we stop right here, and I'm going to give you the, the, the verses for the festivals here in a second here, how much should you be giving if we're giving what the Old Testament gave? 20%, not 10%. So we have two tithes. Let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 12, right after Numbers once again, and we'll start in verse 10. Deuteronomy 12 and, uh, and verse 10. And, and we'll go through verse 11. When you cross over the Jordan and dwell in the land which the Lord your God is giving you to inherit, and he gives you rest from all your enemies round about, so you dwell in safety, then there will be the place where the Lord your God chooses to make his name abide. There you shall bring all that I command you, your burnt offerings, your sacrifice, your tithes, heave offerings of your hand, and all your choice offerings which you vow to the Lord. So we have the, the heave offerings included in this, and so are the free, will, the free will offerings here. But you also have the burnt offerings and your sacrifices, which has to do with the festivals. And let's go to uh, verse 17 and 18, same, same chapter here. It says, you may not eat within the gates the tithe of your grain, or your new wine, or your oil, or the firstborn of your herd, or your flock, or any of your offerings which you vow, or your freewill offerings, or of the heave offering of your hand. But you must eat them before the Lord your God, in the place the Lord your God chooses, you and your son and your daughter, your male servant and your female servant, and the Levite who is in your gates, and you shall rejoice before the Lord in all to which you put in your hand. So you have these other offerings here, and these are offerings you're supposed to eat, and this is a festival unto the Lord. And we're also going to go to uh, Deuteronomy 14, verse 22 through 29. And we're going to see, once again, talking about the, uh, these other offerings you're going to give to the Lord and that you're supposed to take part of as a festival, as a ceremony. It says in verse 22, You shall truly tithe all the increase of your grain that the field produces year by year, and you shall eat before the Lord your God in the place where he chooses to make his name abide. The tithe of your grain and your new wine and your oil of the firstborn of your herds and your flocks that you may learn to fear the Lord your God always. So you have the offering you gave to the Levites who gave to a tenth to the Aaron. Now you have a different tenth here that they're supposed to eat it where the Lord tells them to eat it. But it says in verse 24, where he, he says that to, to do this where the Lord chooses his name to abide, which is where the temple is. So they would go to Jerusalem to do this, to have this festival, to have this, eat this food before the Lord. And the reason they have this is that they may learn to fear the Lord your God always. But then it gives a concession here in verse 24. But if the journey is too long for you, so that you're not able to carry the tithe, or if the place where the Lord your God chooses to put the, his name is too far for, from you, when your Lord your God has blessed you, then you shall exchange it for money, take the money in your hand, and go to the place that the Lord your God chooses. You shall spend that money for whatever your heart desires, for oxen or sheep, for wine or similar drink, for whatever your heart desires, you shall eat them there before the Lord, your God, and you shall rejoice, you and your household. So what we have going on here is that they have the tithe given to the, the Levites, which they give a tenth to the Aaronic priests, and they have a different tithe being talked about here. This tithe they're going to eat. They're actually going to have a festival to the Lord for this. And at the, fest, the place where the festival is supposed to be, which is where the Lord dwells, which is in Jerusalem, 
okay? If that's too far for them, the journey is too long, you're not able to carry the tithe, and a tithe is not like, in our day and age, we think a tithe is just money. They're bringing fruit and animals. It's, it's a lot of stuff. If you have a lot of animals and a lot of fields to farm, you're bringing a lot of stuff to, to Jerusalem to have this feast. They're saying if it's too far, you exchange that for money, and you go to a place the Lord tells you to go, and there you will buy whatever your heart desires. For oxen, or sheep, for wine, or similar drink, or whatever your heart desires. So, instead of taking all that to Jerusalem, you take the money you get from that, go to Jerusalem, and there have the feast with things you would buy. From people who live in Jerusalem, in that area, who are bringing forth crop, and fruit, and animals themselves. And this part is really rarely ever talked about. So, um... Let's just read on here a second, and it says uh, in verse 26, And you shall spend, well, let's go to verse 27, I'm sorry. You shall not forsake the Levite who is within your gates, for he has no part nor inheritance with you. At the end of every third year, you shall bring out the tithe of your produce of that year and store it up within your gates. And a Levite, because he has no portion nor inheritance with you, and the stranger and the fatherless and the widow who are within your gates may come and eat and be satisfied, and the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hand which you do. So we have the second tithe being talked about at the beginning of this passage, but now we have a third tithe being talked about here. Every third year. In verse 28, at the end of every third year, you shall bring out the tithe of your produce of that year and store it up within your gates. And in a Levite, because he has no portion nor inheritance with you, and a stranger and a fatherless and a widow, who are within your gates, may come and eat and be satisfied, and the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands which you do. So on top of the normal every year tithe that goes to the Levites, and they give a tenth of that, the best of that, to the Aaronic priest, now you have another second tithe, which is for the festival time. So you're providing for yourself and for your family during the festival time, and you'll go up to Jerusalem to do this, whether you're taking the actual tithe, the animals, the fruit, the vegetables with you, or you're selling that and going to Jerusalem and buying things to have a festival there, or... Uh, and, and, and then you have the third tithe, which is every third year. On top of this, you're giving a tithe to who? The Levite within your gates. Not the Aaronic priesthood Levites who are up in Jerusalem. The Levite within your gates. And it's also for the fatherless, for the stranger, and for the widow. So every third year you're giving 30%? Every third year you're giving an extra 10%. So if you take it every year, it's going to be, what, 23.3% so far. Because 10, 10% that third year, divided by 3, if you do it every year, say you're saving up for that last year, uh, you have 3.3% per year. So right now, at this point, we're up to 23.3%. Okay? So you have, the, you have the, the, the tithe to the Lord, you have the festival tithe, and now you have the welfare tithe. Exactly. Welfare tithe, that's what I would call it. Uh, and let me look at, look at some other passages that talk about the welfare tithe as well. Leviticus chapter 19. Just to give you some more scripture to back this up. Leviticus 19. And uh, this is, no, sorry, that's not the one I'm looking for here. Uh, Deuteronomy, oh, just in 14, I think. Let me see here. Deuteronomy 14. I think that's where I just was, right? 14, okay, that's where I went. And then I also want to go to, for this, this every third year tithe, Deuteronomy 26, 12. It talks about every third year. It says, um, 
Deuteronomy 26.12, when you have finished laying aside all the tithe of your increase in the third year, the year of tithing, it's called the year of tithing this th every third year because you're giving so much, I guess, and have given it to the Levite and the stranger, the fathers and the widow, so they may eat within your gates and be filled. So that's an every third year tithe. So right now we're up to 23.3%. But we don't stop there. Now those, those, that's the end of the actual tithes here. Those are the three tithes. Tithe to the Lord, the festival tithing, and the every third year tithe, which they call the welfare tithe. Those are the three tithes. You have 23.3% so far per year. Break it down per year. Uh, but then we also have other things we would do here. Uh, when you're, let's go to Leviticus chapter 19 and verse 9. This is when you're harvesting your field, your land that you've, you've sowed into. It says, when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not wholly reap the corners of your field, nor shall you gather the gleanings of your harvest. You shall not glean your vineyard, nor shall you gather every grape of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and the stranger. I am the Lord your God. So you're not gathering from the corners of your field, and you're not gleaning from the things that are left behind. You're not going back and getting them again. You're leaving that. Now, it doesn't give a percentage here, but it's got to factor in there somehow. This, is, this goes above and beyond the 23.3%. Um, and then uh, Exodus chapter 23. The corners, mm -hmm. Leviticus 19, verses 9 through 10. For the corners of your field and not gleaning. Also, for not gleaning, you might want to write this down. I'm not going to go to it. Uh, Deuteronomy 24, verses 19 through 22. Exodus 23, uh, verses 10 and 11. Six years you shall sow your land and gather in its produce. But the seventh year you shall let it rest and lie fallow, and the poor of your people, that the poor of your people may eat, and what they leave, the beasts of the field may eat. In like manner you shall do with your vineyard and your olive grove. So for six years you farm your land, you gather from the vineyard, but in the seventh year you leave it alone. And the poor come and, and, and take use of it. And whatever they don't use, the beast get. So every seventh year, and uh, one-seventh breaks down to 0.14%. Or 1.4%, I'm sorry. 1.4%. So we have 23.3% plus 1.4% is 24.8% now. So 24.8%, then you have the corners of your field and no glean. Let's say 26%. 26%. Well, this is all just mandatory stuff here. Nothing here is, I mentioned free will offerings, but nothing here is referring to free will offerings now. It's all mandatory stuff for the priests and Levites, for, the, for welfare, for the festivals, and then for the poor, all the things you're doing for the poor as well. So 26%. And this is what we would consider like a tax here in America. That's basically what America takes, depending on how much you may take about 26% to take care of the public officials. Now, I don't think they're doing as well with the money as, as, as they should be. Uh, and sometimes they're a little unfair in their taxing procedures. They're taxing more upon certain people than others. Uh, but see, 26% is the mandatory thing. There's no free will involved here. Of course, you can disobey this. 
But this is mandatory. But God required the Old Testament believers to give. And then there was free will offerings, which they can give whatever they wanted to give. And you can, you can find you know, other passages talking about free will offerings. Uh, one other thing I forgot to mention, the temple tax, which even Jesus gave, which is a half a shekel per person. But, you know, 26% is about, I would say, including everything together, is about what they gave each year, if you break it down per year. So you have the free will offerings. And then, you know, most times the people are, are dealing with this tithe issue and saying you must give at least 10% of your income. They always go to Malachi. Malachi chapter 3. So let's go to Malachi chapter 3, and uh, starting in verse 8. And this, this, this text is always used to put a little fear in the hearts of those who aren't giving uh, the way they supposedly should be. And let's see what it says starting in verse 8. Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse. You have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that it may be food in my house. And try me now in this, is the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing, that there will be not room enough to receive it. And... We, the first thing we start with, we go into the Old Testament today, was we, who does the tithe belong to? The Lord. So this has anything to do with New Testament believers or with the church. We're talking about the temple here. And he is robbed, they are robbing him because the tithe belongs to him. And who has God chosen to give it to? The Levites and the priests. So in that way, they're robbed. So to use these... This idea of the tithe and going back to the Old Testament, which is a, a simply a tax system for the theocratic government of Israel, is not using sound hermeneutics, if you ask me. It's not interpreting the Bible properly. Okay? Now let's go to the New Testament. Let's see what it has to say about these issues. Let's go to Matthew chapter 22. And we're going to start in verse 15. When the Pharisees went and plotted how they might entangle him in his talk, and they sent to him their disciples with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God and truth, nor do you care about anyone, for you do not regard the person of men. Tell us, therefore, what do you think? Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus perceived their wickedness and said, Why do you test me, you hypocrites? Show me the tax money. So they brought him a denarius. He said to them, Whose image and description is this? They said to him, Caesar's. He said to them, Render therefore to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. So, uh, he talks about taxing here. And if the government you're underneath in this kingdom, in this world, if they levy a tax against you, you're to give them the taxes that they're asking for. Uh, now, you can try to fight it and say it's unjust or whatever you want to do, and some people want to make a war and fight over this issue. I don't think it's that important of an issue. I think there's other things for us to at attend to. Um, there's some who would say, and I would somewhat agree with them, that the income tax isn't, isn't lawful. There's, there's nowhere it says to take income tax in our Constitution and our laws. And that's true. I've looked into it, but I'm not willing to fight that battle. There's more important things to fight over. Okay? 
so we, we need to be careful we don't get distracted and become activists for these other issues because we're not of this world who cares. Let them have what they want. God will provide for us. Amen? He'll provide for us. Uh, and then you have Romans 13, and it tells you right here in Romans 13 what this tax is for. Romans chapter 13, and starting in verse 1, we'll go through verse 7. It says, Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is God's minister and avenger of to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Therefore he must be subject, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience' sake. Because of this, you also pay taxes. For they are God's ministers, attending continually to this very thing. Render therefore to all their due, taxes to whom taxes are due, Customs to whom customs, fears to whom fear, honor to whom honor. So there's a tax system for a reason. To fund the government. Same thing you see in the Old Testament. You see in New Testament times, uh, it's just not a theocratic government anymore. It's a government ru ruled by man. And tithe, here's the interesting thing. Tithe is not mentioned in the New Testament except in reference to Jesus rebuking those who gave tithe while neglecting justice and love. It's the only time Jesus talks about tithing is when he's rebuking those who give the full tithe, the Pharisees and Sadducees, etc., but they neglected the greater things, justice and love. Jesus did this to point out their hypocrisy. And I'll give you some scripture references if you want to write them down. Matthew 23, 23. Luke 11.42 and Luke 18.12. You see, in each of these situations, Jesus rebuking those who are giving tithe but neglecting justice and love. And he exposes their hypocrisy in doing so. The only other time that, that tithing is mentioned in, in the whole New Testament is in Hebrews chapter 7, verses 8 through 9, but it's talking about something that happened in the Old Testament. When Abraham gave tithes to Melchizedek, all the plunder he got. That's it. That's all the tithing we see in the New Testament. Okay, so we have the Old Testament tithing being a tax system and it being 26% if you break it down to a yearly amount. The New Testament doesn't mention tithing except to rebuke those who tithe but neglect justice and love and talking about something that happened in the Old Testament, Abraham and Melchizedek. So how does New Testament giving work then? Well, let's look at 2 Corinthians. or so We looked at Matthew 6, 1-4 through 4, that when you give should you give to, for the praise of man or for the praise of God? And do with your left hand without your right hand even knowing. Or your right hand not letting your left hand know. So it's done in secret. And if we do this in secret, what will happen? God will reward you openly. There's other things that Matthew 6 says, as we go further into Matthew 6, other things Matthew 6 says, it also says to... Uh, in verses 19 through 21. These are all New Testament principles I'm giving you forgiven here. So you give secretly, not to be praised by men, but praised by God. And if you do so, God will reward you. But should you do it for the reward? No, you do it just to give praise to God. But he will reward you if you do. Verse 19 through 21. Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth, 
where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So another, pr another principle here. Should you lay up for yourself treasures on earth? Why? Why does it say you shouldn't do that? Moth and rust will destroy them. Thieves will break in and steal. So what should you lay up treasures for? In heaven, toward the kingdom of God. I have a story of a friend of mine named Mark Cahill, who he had a 401k plan. You should have know what that means. It's a retirement plan he had when he was working for a school as a teacher. And the Lord really laid it on his heart that he wasn't to lay up treasures on earth, so he took it and gave it away. He gave it all away. That was God's retirement plan for him. And we're going to talk about more about retirement plans here in a minute. But um, that's, that's, what, that's, that's a biblical principle here. Not laying up for yourself treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourself treasures in heaven, where your moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. Now, I'm not saying by any means that people can't save up money if they know they're not going to be able at some point in time work at all, and if their children aren't godly children who are supposed to be taking care of their parents, which is what the Bible says. The Bible says as a Christian, if you have Christian parent, uh, children, that when the, the parent can't take care of himself anymore, the children should step in and take care of the, parent, the parents. Not let government and welfare take care of them, or be a burden on someone who's not their family, but the children should take care of their parents. Because guess what? The children were taken care of by the parents for 18 years. And I seriously doubt you'll ever be able to pay that 18 years or however many long years you stay with them back to them. Let's say you, you know, your father becomes debilitated at 70 years old and can't take care of himself. If he, at 70 years old, he can't work anymore, can't take care of them. There's a, there's a very small chance he'll last another 18 years. But if he does, you're still obligated to take care of him. That's God's way of doing things. Okay? Let's go down to verse 24 of Matthew 6. Another principle here. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon, or God and riches, or God and money. So you can't serve both. So should you serve your riches, or should your riches serve you? Well, your riches should serve you, but you should serve the Lord with your riches. But we're talking about who has control over what here. So many people, their riches control them. Yet they should be controlling their riches under the fear of the Lord. And if you use your riches not to store up treasures on earth, or moth and rust destroy, but store up treasures in heaven. For where your treasure is, where? There your heart will be also. If your treasure is on earth, where's your heart? Earthly things. Treasure in heaven, give to the Lord. Give to missionaries, give, give to build orphanages, whatever it may be, you're giving this money to those things, then where's your treasure? In heaven. And where's your heart? See, what you do with your money shows where your heart is. If your money controls you, then you're a slave to your money, and it's your master, and you can't serve that and God at the same time. Impossible. That's what Jesus says right here. You can't serve both. But you should serve God, and therefore your money should serve you, because it was given to you by God, and you use it for the kingdom of God. Biblical principles here. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. And I think this is probably the most important passage that we're going to read about this giving. About 
you know, because when I talk about New Testament giving here in modern day churches in America, they're always focused on an amount here. They never talk about the heart. We were talking about the heart, talking about what our heart should be and stuff like that. But they're always focusing on an amount. And we're going to find an amount right here. Okay, this is where we're going to find the amount. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 through 8. But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully will reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that, that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. Did you get the amount in there? What's the amount? Oh, no, so you're looking for a number. Let each one give, let each one give as he purposes in his heart. You choose the number you give as you purpose in your heart. See, we're all looking for a mathematical number here. Especially as men, that's the way we kind of work. Uh, but the tithe is an Old Testament concept. Giving in the New Testament is not give a certain amount here. It's as you purpose in your heart. But look at the conditions here. He who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. If you only plant, if, if, you know, if you guys do your garden next year and all you plant is corn, what are you going to get? You're going to get cauliflower? You're not going to get tomatoes? But if you only plant, like, if you have this big field, but you only plant one corner of it, you're going to get the whole field? You're only going to reap what you have sown. If you sow bountifully, if you sow generously, you'll reap generously. If you sow sparingly, you reap sparingly. The principle there, the more you give, the more you'll receive in return. But are you giving so you can receive in return? No, no, no. But if you do give in abundance, God will bless you in abundance. And you should give as you purpose in your heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. So, I think this verse, verse 7 right here, destroys this whole concept of you have to give at least a tenth. Because if you have to give at least a tenth, are you giving of necessity? Yeah. If you have to give at least a tenth, now you're giving of necessity. You have to give that amount. That's what necessity means. You have to give a certain amount. So that itself right there says, shows there isn't a certain amount you're supposed to give. There's biblical principles you live by. You give a, a lot. You get a lot in return. You give to the kingdom of God, not to build the kingdom of heaven. You're not letting money serve you. You're, money, you're, not, letting, uh, you're not serving money. Money's serving you. You're giving to the Lord. You're giving as a cheerful giver, not grudgingly, as you purpose in your heart to give. And God is, make, God is able to make all grace abound toward you that in always having all sufficiency in all things that may have an abundance for every good work. So God is going to bless you as you give. These are the biblical principles we see in God's word. And then we have some examples we see in God's word. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, starting in verse 1. We have the churches of Macedonia. We see their example of how they gave. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1. Moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, then a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty, abounded in the riches of their liberality. For I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were, they, they were freely willing, imploring us with much urgency that we should receive the gift 
and the fellowship of the ministering of the, to the saints. So the church of Macedonia, much trial and affliction, they're in deep poverty, and they gave beyond their ability to give. In other words, you know, you, say you make this much per month, and you need this much to provide for your family, you know, your house, your clothing, your food, your drink, and then you have this much left over. That's giving not out of your need by giving much left over, that's giving out of your abundance. But they stepped into their need and gave out of that. That's real giving. That's an example of real giving. You know, I don't know what this scripture reference is, but I'm reminded of David when he gave to the Lord, the temple of the Lord. He didn't give if it was a sacrifice to him. If it wasn't a sacrifice to him, really, in his eyes, it really wasn't giving. So he gave out of his need. You know, so as, as us parents, we sit down and make our budgets out for the year and how much we make per month and how much our bills are each, each, each month and we have this much left over and we think, well, I can give this much. Well, I want to challenge you on that. Maybe you should go above and beyond that. Maybe you should go above and beyond what extra you have left over. Because according to 2 Corinthians 9, God is able to make all grace abound toward you that you, always having all sufficiency... And all things may have an abundance for every good work. I found it in my own life that as I gave out of my, my need, out of what I had, God blessed me with more. That's not why I gave. I gave because I wanted to give to others. And I've seen it happen in my life. They go to Acts chapter 2. See how the early church acted here. Acts chapter 2 and verse uh, 44 through 45. It's after the day of Pentecost. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common, and sold the possessions and goods, and divided them among all as anyone had need. Now this is not promoting Christian communism. Uh, this is not saying that you're required to sell things and give to people. But these people who had extra things sold what they had and gave to the poor that they may have all things in common. But it doesn't say you have to do that here. So they, they did do that out of, the, out of their heart, the generosity of their heart. So they gave. And then you have uh, Luke chapter 21. It's probably one of my favorite examples here. Luke chapter 21, and starting in verse 1. And he, Jesus, looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the treasury. And he also saw a certain poor widow putting in two mites. Very small amount. So he said, Truly I say to you that this poor widow has put in more than all. For all these out of their abundance have put in offerings for God. And she out of her poverty put in all the livelihood that she had. You know, this principle of you have to give at least 10% and the, the actual amount is what matters. If that was actually a New Testament principle, then how could Jesus even say that? That she gave more than all. But the reason he can say it, because the New Testament principle is this. You give out of, the, out of your heart, out of the generosity of your heart. And she gave out of her need, out of her deep poverty, out of the livelihood that she had. And the other people gave a lot more money. Two mites is like a couple nickels to us. It's all she had, though. And she gave it. So the New Testament principle is always the same as it was in the Old Testament for a free will offering. You give as you purpose in your heart to give. You give generously as a cheerful giver, not under necessity, 
And if you have an abundance, that's good that you're giving out of your abundance, but give out of your deep need and follow the examples we see in the scriptures. Now I want to point out one more thing to you, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, before I give you some warnings to guard yourself against here. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, and we'll start in verse 1. Because we do have people who minister among us. Uh, they're not Levites from the Old Testament. Some people might try to apply that, that just, you know, just like the Levites in the Old Testament got paid for their work for the Lord, therefore, and they got 10%, therefore we should give pastors and so, what, so forth 10%. Let's see what Paul has to say about this in 1 Corinthians 9. Am I not an apostle? Am I not free? Have I not seen Jesus Christ our Lord? Are you not my work in the Lord? If I am not an apostle to others, if, I, if I'm not an apostle to others, yet doubtless I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. My defense to those who examine me is this. Do we have no right to eat and drink? Do we have no right to take along a believing wife, as do also the other apostles, the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working? Whoever goes to war at his own expense, who plants a vineyard does not eat of its fruit? Or who tends a flock and does not drink of the milk of the flock? Do they say these things as a mere man? Or does not the law say the same also? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. Is it oxen God is concerned about? <clears throat> or did you say it altogether for our sakes? For our sakes, no doubt, this is written, that he who plows should plow in hope, that he who threshes in hope should be a partaker of, this, of his hope. If we have sown spiritual things for you, is it a great thing if we reap material things, your material things? If others are partakers of this right over you, are we not even more? Nevertheless, we have not used this right, but endure all things as we hinder the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that those whom you minister the holy things eat of the things of the temple, and those who serve at the altar partake of the offerings of the altar? Even so, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should live from the gospel. But I have used none of these things, nor have I written these things, that it should be done so to me. For it would be better for me to die than that anyone should make my boasting void. If I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of, for, ne for necessity is laid upon me. Yes, woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this willingly, I have a reward. But if against my will, I have, I have been entrusted with a stewardship. What is my reward then? That when I preach the gospel, I may present the gospel of Christ without charge, that I may not abuse my authority in the gospel. So Paul says, he has the right as an apostle, as a preacher of the gospel, that those he's preaching to, he's ministering to, he has a right to eat and drink of their food, to reap of their material things, because he's sown spiritual things. And I think verse 12 it says it all. Even so the Lord has commanded those who preach the gospel should live from the gospel. Yet, even though Paul has his right, did he take this right? Because he wanted to be able to boast in the Lord. That even though he could take these things, that he had a right to these things, he didn't take claim to these things because... He wanted to preach the gospel and have no one say anything against him in the process. He endured all things for them. So we have this so we have this here that if someone's ministering to you, that they have a right to reap material things from you because they're sowing spiritual things in your life. That's a biblical principle there. But it doesn't say anything about giving a tenth, does it? The New Testament gospel preacher is not the, the same as the Old Testament priest. Old Testament Levite. Not the same thing at all. But Paul still brings this, this, this principle into the New Testament.
Okay, now I want to give you some warnings uh, to guard yourself against greed. Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5, verses 1 through 3. Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God, for a sweet-smelling aroma. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you as is fitting for saints. So covetousness or greed should not even be named among us as is fitting for saints. Or be imitators of God in that, that manner. Uh, this next passage in 1 Timothy 6 is a really good one. I think it really is good for coming against these false preachers of this day that you see on TBN. They're, all, they're often called the prosperity gospel preachers. And I want you to listen very carefully to 1 Timothy 6, verses 5 through 12. Useless railings of men and corrupt minds and destitute of the truth, who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. From such, withdraw yourself. Now godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and harmful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. For which some, having strayed from the faith in their greediness, and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. But you, O man of God, flee these things, and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith, lay hold on eternal life, to which you were also called, and have confessed a good confession in the presence of many witnesses. So these people who think godliness is a means of gain, Withdraw yourself from them. Have nothing to do with them. Definitely don't send your money to them. They're just you know you know who Jesus was the, the most angry at while he was on earth. Who was he most angry at? When he, when can you remember in your head when was Jesus the most angry? And what was he doing in the temple? Money changers. Because he made they made his father's house into a den of robbers. These people were trying to take God's place, the temple, and make money off of people who came there. Godless is a means of gain. From such, withdraw yourself. I can imagine how angry Jesus will be at the prosperity preachers when they stand in judgment. If on earth he turned over the temple, the, the tables and temple courts. And I'm gonna, we're going to watch a little four-minute video clip here in a second about this. But, it, but with contentment, godliness with contentment is great gain. For having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. Are you content with just food and clothing? Or do you need more? Are you covetous? And, it, and this is a very important admonition here. For those who desire to be rich, fall into temptation and a snare, and the many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. And it says, it goes on to say, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, for which some, having strayed from the faith in their greediness, and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. I've heard stories of these men who are prosperity gospel preachers. That some of them used to be really godly men. Used to be walking in the faith. But they've turned aside in their greediness for gain. 
And they've used these people to make money off of them. And they've pierced themselves through with many sorrows. They think they're winning. They're killing themselves. Destroying themselves. They departed from the faith. But you, O man of God, flee from these things. And pursue money, notice, is pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Those are the fruits of the Spirit. And then there's also, I'll give you some, just some scripture references for these ones. I'm not going to read through all because I want to get to this, this little short video clip here. Um, those who are greedy, we have the Pharisees are greedy. Luke 16, verse 13 through 14. They're called greedy by Jesus. Judas himself was a thief. John chapter 12, verses 1 through 6. Judas was a thief. He was the treasurer of the disciples, of the, of the money they brought in. And there's this one example of uh, you know, pouring the perfume on Jesus' feet, preparing for burial. And he was complaining about it. But he didn't complain because he really cared about the poor. He was a thief from the money bag. And he wanted more money for himself. Yeah. Uh -huh. That's true. That's a great example. Way to point that out, brother. He was in the faith. And we, we don't know exactly what made him stray, but that is a definite possibility because he had control over the money and he started stealing from it. And he started to love money instead of loving Jesus like he should have and loving the poor. What was that first reference you gave, brother? Uh, for the Pharisees, Luke 16, verses 13 through 14. And for Judas, John 12, 1 through 6. So these are people you do not want to be likened to. Okay, and then we have the last days people. People of the last days. 2 Timothy chapter 3, 1 through 5. People in the last days will be greedy and covetous lovers of money. Don't be like them. Because in the last days, you'll be like in the days of Noah. What happened to the people in the days of Noah? They were destroyed. Don't be among the last days, people. Uh, then there's the Judaizers. Titus 1, 10 through 11. They were greedy and covetous, according to Paul. And then we have false prophets, false teachers, and that, that's found in 2 Peter. In chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, and verses 12 through 15. And Peter says of these false prophets and teachers, they followed in the way of Balaam, who was rebuked by a donkey to restrain his madness. Okay, so these are the people you don't want to be in, 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 in grouping with. You don't want to be of the people who are named in 1 Timothy 6. Um, you don't want to be named with the Pharisees, with Judas, with the last days, people with the Judaizers, or with the false teachers of the prophets. These are the people who you find are greedy in the scriptures. Greedy for money. Um, now, now I want to watch this. It's a short four-minute video clip. It's of a uh, prosperity gospel preacher named Creflo Dollar. His name is Creflo Dollar. He's a preacher in Atlanta. And he's got big houses, a jet plane, nice cars, lots of money, and um, lots of influence. And this is it's pure wickedness, if you ask me. I think so. Yes, Creflo Dollar is his real last name. Well, wait till you see what he says here.
you know, we're under the blood of Jesus, so we can't shoot and stone people like we used to. All we have to do is repent and God will forgive us and, and take us where we need to be. But I tell you, man, if it wasn't for the blood, there'd be a whole lot of us being stoned and being in hell right now, but over the tide. But for the blood of Jesus, we'd be doomed. I mean, I thought about when we first built the dome, I wanted to put some of those little moving bars and uh, give everybody a little card. And they stick it in a little computer slot. And if they were tithing, beautiful music would go off and... You know, welcome, welcome, welcome to the world, don't. <laughs> but if they were non-tithers, the bar would lock up. Access the night. The red and blue lights would start going. The siren would go off, and a voice would go throughout the entire dome. Crook, 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 crook. <laughs> Security would go and apprehend them. And once we got them all together, we'd line them up in the front and pass out Uzis by the ushers. We point our, our, our Uzis right at all those non-tithing members because we want God to come to church. And at the count of three Jesuses, we'd shoot them all dead. And then we'd take them out the side door there, have a big hole, bury them, and go ahead and have church and have the anointing. Aren't you glad we're under the blood of Jesus? Because if we were not under the blood of Jesus, I would certainly try it. Folks, this is a serious thing. Folks, this is a serious thing. And if you take time to tithe the tithe correctly, it's impossible to go to hell. Because if you're doing all of that, man, tithing will keep you in heaven. It'll keep you in the presence of God. We know that the tithe uh, is the agreement. We know the tithe, according to this, we're believing right now that the tithe is the covenant. I'm telling you that your tithe is your covenant connector. I'm telling you that all the promises that God ever gave you, you cannot get them without being connected to them with the tithe. I'm telling you the only way you're going to get hooked up to healing is through the tithe. I'm telling you the only way you're going to get hooked up to prosperity, deliverance, or any promise in the Word of God is through the tithe.
can see the foolishness and the wickedness of uh, you know, let me add something to this. Um, before we moved here in Louisiana, we went to a church where a pastor actually stood up and said that if you belong to this church and if you refuse to tithe, God will kill you and take you out of the way that, so that somebody can fill that slot to continue the giving and the tithe. That's nonsense, man. Said that, right? No, I, I was, nowhere is that found in the scriptures. Nowhere is that found in the scriptures. And, um, but I mean, that thing is a madness that has, like you said, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a spellbinding thing. Mm-hmm. Yep. People are living in abject fear over that issue. Right. And to think that there are people preaching the gospel saying things like God's going to kill you if you don't die is... Well, Carthel Dollar showed his murderous heart. And he showed he wasn't willing to obey Matthew 6, 1 through 4, which says, don't let your hand know what the left hand is doing, because he wants there to be a woo, 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 you don't give, and, a, and there's pretty music when you do give. How is that obeying Matthew 6, 1 through 4? Not obeying that. And um, so he, he's making money in everything. Money will keep you in heaven, keep you out of hell. Money is a covenant. Uh, money gets you healing. Money is everything. And money is everything to him. It says God. So money is the connection to heaven. It's not Jesus. That's right. <laughs> it's idolatry. It's, it's taking the place of Jesus. Yeah. It's straight up idolatry. So you can see that you don't want to... Obviously, I don't think anyone here is going to fall into that kind of garbage. But we need to be warning other people about this too. Because our people who who you probably know who have fallen, who fallen into this stuff. And it doesn't happen like, oh, it hasn't happened all of a sudden. It happens over time. They get involved in these people, Creflo Dollar, Benny Hinn, you know, whoever it may be, and, and they go deeper and deeper, and all of a sudden they're, they, they're believing stuff like this. And they're wrapped up in their friends. They go up there throwing money on the tips so they can run over, run, run over and say, give anointing to this money. No way, man. Right. Right. I People who literally worship this guy. I mean, right. they think he walks on water. Right, and a saying you'll hear often when it comes to these preachers is, "Don't touch God's anointed." And uh, that that that's quoting from when David would not touch Saul, who was anointed the king. That's presupposing they're anointed, which they aren't. They're anointed by the devil. They're anointed by God. There's two other things I want to touch on just real quick before we end. Um, one is going to debt, and the other one is just a. Uh, Retirement. Now, going into that, here's a scripture I want to just give you. Romans 13.8 says, Owe no one anything except to love one another, for he who loves another has fulfilled the law. 
Okay, so you want to stay out of debt as much as possible. You want to owe no one anything except to love one another, for he who loves another has fulfilled the law. So you want to stay out of debt. Uh, debt will hinder you from doing things you want to do. Uh, like if you want to, if God calls you to be a you know missionary somewhere, well, I got debt. I can't go out and be a missionary. Um, so it, leaves, it gives you freedom to do what God wants you to do. You're not a slave to the lender because you'll only be a slave or a servant of righteousness and to God. So nothing's hindering you. So if you're in debt, get out of debt as quickly as you can. If you're out of debt, stay out of debt. You know, if, if God wants you to buy something, or let him provide for you. Okay? Um, and then, of course, when it go, comes to going into debt, you don't know what the future holds. Going into debt presupposes you'll, you'll know what's going to happen in the future. That you know you're going to have money to pay this off in the future. So you need to be really careful about going into debt. Uh, and then there's uh, one more passage here that re- reference to retirement or savings. And uh, once again, I'm not saying you can't have a retirement, you can't have savings at all, but just listen to what it says here in Luke 12, uh, 13 to 21. Then one from the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or an arbiter over you? He said to them, Take heed and beware of covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. Then he spoke a parable to them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I will do this. I'll pull down my barns and build greater, and therefore I, there I will store all my crops and my goods. And I say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then who, whose will those things be which you have provided? So is he who laid up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. And one more thing I'll say about this whole retirement issue is that I don't think there's anywhere in the Bible where God says, save lots of money over your 20, 30 years working, so the goal is to sit back and do nothing for the rest of your life. Now, we're going to be working for the Lord at all times. Uh, now, you may retire from secular work if you're not able to do it anymore, if you're to, to an age where you can't, you can't do it anymore, but we're going to have to sit back and do nothing. You know, I picture an old man on the porch rocking back and forth, doing nothing all day, watching TV. Where do we, you know, what was that? Playing, playing, uh, playing pool. Shuffleboard. You know, going to Daytona, Florida and soak up the sun and going to the farmer's market once a week or something like that. I mean, these, these things are not what the Bible says. We'd be looking, working for the Lord at all times. And if we have so much coming in, that we have so much abundance, maybe instead of building a new storage house, we should think about giving it away. How about that? Here's the principle I try to live by. If the Lord increases my income at all, I don't take it as a way to increase my goods. I take it as a sign from God that I need to increase my giving. Because before he increased it, I was doing fine, wasn't I? And then he's increased it. Should I just buy more stuff for myself? Or should I give more? Should give more. Okay. All right. Well, I think that uh, covers everything I wanted to say. Does anyone have? Uh, you guys have given me comments a lot about the prosperity stuff so far. But any comments about anything else, or questions, or things you want to add? You mentioned the uh, tax outline in Romans thirteen, one through seven. So by, by funding the government, uh, I think it should. 
taxes. Uh, at the same time, you should use whatever lawful means possible to be wise about that and to pay uh, this government, especially the least that I can legally, right? Uh, giving away millions of dollars for abortions and things like that. But I wouldn't go to the other end and say, no, I'm, I'm not giving taxes because obviously the Bible commands me to give taxes. So I'm, I'm kind of like this kind of moral dilemma in my heart, my mind, where I'm, I'm looking at this government that's doing so, so much wickedness mm -hmm. with the money that we're giving it. And the Bible is telling me to give it. And I know that the kingdoms are raised up and taken down by, by God himself. I understand. I, I think uh, the Bible never says to be concerned about those things. What the government does with the money you give to them as a necessity and tax. I mean, the Roman government, look at them, man. They killed Christians. And the Bible never puts the accountability upon Christians for giving tax to the Roman government for killing other Christians. Right. Right, so we're to, we're to, we're not. I mean, I, that's I understand the thinking process in that that I don't want to give money to a government that's going to fund abortion and stuff like that. But the Bible never says that we're to be concerned about that. That we're to give to them, and they're going to be accountable for what they do with the money. But we, of necessity, are supposed to give to Caesar what Caesar demands. And so it's not our concern what they're going to do with it. Um, and once again, I want to emphasize we shouldn't get caught up in this political process because that's not going to change things anyway. And it's going to distract us from the real important things. The real way to change this, this government, if you, want, if you really want change, I mean, that's not our goal to change the government. Our goal is to get people saved. But people will get saved, the government will change naturally. They won't spend money on this stuff. Because guess what? When this country was more moral, not that it was Christian, but when it was more moral than it is now, it didn't do these kind of things. But the money was brought into the government. Where you live? That's in your general area. Yeah, that's where you live. Yeah. Yeah, that's an Old Testament thing. Right. Talking about their community, the Levites in their community. The Levites had no land for themselves. The Levites in their community, and of course the strangers and the fatherless and the widows, uh, because those are the people who. Right. Right, it shows, it, sh it shows you're taking care of the helpless because widows who've lost their husband and this, I, I think this is really a, talking about widows who have no children to take care of them because that's assumed you're going to take care of them. And he talks about the New Testament. Um, and then the fatherless, of course, they, they have no way of taking care of themselves. And the strangers, you're just showing love to them. I love the strangers. And then the Levites, because they, no, they have no way of taking care of themselves either. They have no land. So you can take care of the helpless, and you're showing love to those who are outside of your, your group. Yeah, this, is, this shows God never changes. You know, when people try to look at the Old Testament, God right. is different than the New Testament. God is right. the same yesterday, today, and forever. Right. It's the same principles in the New Testament. Amen. Same principles, same God, same character. Yeah. Pure and undefiled religion before God is this to take care of the widows and orphans and keep oneself unspotted from the world. Yeah. I 
Johnny, it's interesting in this, in this welfare list that uh, the stranger, this person that's new to the area, always when you're coming from one area to another, you're, you're coming out of some kind of maybe uh, bad economic situation or, or some kind of uh, persecution mm -hmm. or something like that, even uh, if it's not Christian persecution. And so that person would be kind of in needful and in need of help. Right. And uh, Good point. In, this, in these civilizations, this era, uh, I would see how it would be very, uh, but also applicable to today's uh, time, too. And that's the way it used to be in America. I mean, you, you came to a town and you didn't know anybody there. People were loving enough to even let you stay in their house. And they feed you and take care of you. How often does that happen these days? I also noticed that those that are not on the list, those that are homeless because of their drug use, mm -hmm. or homeless because of their drunkenness, right. uh, or, or willful homelessness, right. and they just don't want any authority over them. Right. And uh, they, for whatever reason, they've chosen to live on the streets. Right. Uh, not, I'm not saying that I wouldn't feed them or preach to them. I certainly wouldn't give them money. Yes. I certainly wouldn't go out there out of my way when there's people that that are because of their helplessness, as you pointed out earlier, that are in true need versus right. this uh, self-inflicted. You know, they've shot themselves in the foot over and over and over again. Right. And you go and you feed them, and you preach to them, and they still keep shooting themselves in the foot, going out there and getting drugs and sticking heroin in their their arm and yeah, I think suffering can be the best friend of a willful homeless person. Because it teaches them a truth. That sin causes pain and suffering for you. And um, for us to take them out of suffering would almost be detrimental to them at times. Unless they've learned their lesson. Um, so, yes, I, I think sometimes people use Matthew 25 to say that we should feed the homeless and poor who are in, in garden. That because Jesus says, you know, if you've fed one of these, you've fed me. But no, he says, fed one of these, he's my brothers. So that's even talking about feeding Christians who are in, in dire situations here. So I'm talking about just going to any homeless in the street who are, are there for willful sin reasons and just giving them money. And then patting on the back and saying, look, I've done God's will, I'm feeding Jesus. Well, that's not what Jesus said, so I would, even people who use that, I would encourage them to go back to Matthew 25 and look at what it actually says. That's just feeding anyone. It's feeding the least of these my brethren, Jesus says. So. I was thinking about the fourth wise man movie. Have you yet? We watched it last night. Uh, oh, you like that? Wow. Yeah. yeah. It reminded me of what you're sharing here because there was one who was giving grudgingly in right. that movie. The servant. And the other one was giving freely. Right. Know, of everything that he had and then at the end it showed the Lord Jesus was pleased with all of his gifts even though he's like oh Lord I have nothing to give you at the very end but right. that was my favorite part I, I yeah it was a good movie I really liked that a lot called The Fourth Wise Man oh you did okay yeah I really enjoyed that it was good alright any other questions or comments or Disagreements, or okay, so that's good. Everyone understands that tithe is not a New Testament concept, and that when people say we're supposed to give, then in that manner, then they're going against New Testament principles.